and welcome to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and we're going to be discussing some of the hottest, controversial, and in many cases considered taboo topics. We cover every issue you've ever considered, and several you haven't even thought of, from the unique perspective of a conservative atheist. Enjoy! And welcome back to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and today we're going to be talking about, well, we're going to be talking about a, a uh, subject that I like to talk about, and I've talked about more than once, and that I've talked about in different podcast episodes, and that is DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Um, something that was meant to be anti-racist that has become very, very racist and bigoted, and it's gone way too far, way over the top, and it's become uh, a problem. It's become a real problem. And uh, it works against anybody who's not black. It works against, uh, you know, Jews. It works against Asians, Arabs, um, anybody you can think of. White people, obviously. It, it works against everybody. So it's extreme racism in colleges and, and on, on campuses. But people seem to be okay with it. Why, I have no idea. Um, I think it's the new world we live in. It's part of political correctness. It's part of the whole woke thing. So people say woke. I, I really don't understand the difference, what the difference is between woke and politically correct. Seems like the same thing to me, just somebody using a different term. But we're going to start out with uh, two videos from John Stossel. And John Stossel is, he is interviewing a black college professor that used to be, work in the DEI system. He used to work in that department promoting it and, and being involved in it. And he now d denounces it as, as racism and simply a money scam. It's, it's a very lucrative um, program that, can, that makes billions of dollars, not just in colleges, but in companies and schools all over the place, and it's not good for anybody. Well, it doesn't change anything. It hasn't changed the stats, the educational stats, and it hasn't lifted anybody up out of poverty, but it has, um, you know, been detrimental to, as I said, almost all groups. All right, let's start out with, with John Stossel's interview. I believe the man is named Eric Smith, and uh, here we go. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are everyone's responsibility. You've been hearing about DEI training, supposed to make us aware of our unconscious prejudice. But a former DEI trainer, rhetoric professor Eric Smith, says today's DEI training does more harm than good. Here's my entire interview with Smith. People do need to be woken up. Yeah, and that was the point. You know, diversity walk or something like that. When somebody says, uh, how many people grew up in a single parent household and things like that. If you were encouraged to attend college by your parents and your family members, take one step forward. The diversity or privilege walk is supposed to teach us how much more or less privilege we have. 
if you grew up in a household where two parents stepped forward and at the end of it, you know, the most privileged people are in front and the least privileged people are in back. I did that, but it wasn't to guilt anybody. It wasn't to uh, say, you know, you need to check your privilege. It was to say, look at the world here. Look at what's going on. Uh, we should be aware of these things. Why not tell people to check their privilege? Some of us have privilege. Yes, but some of us are accomplished, and that's being called privilege. And I, I think that's unfair. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. There are a lot of people that are well accomplished that came from nothing. Not everybody that's accomplished uh, had rich parents or two-parent household or, you know, parents that encouraged education. Not everybody came from that. And I think a lot of people need to be aware of that. I, you know, my father was actually a, a, a uh, both a teacher in high school and a college professor. And um, he never encouraged me to go to college, never encouraged me to get education to go, you know, get higher, go into higher education. Never encouraged me to do anything, and neither did my mother. And so the idea that because, you know, your parents are even educated doesn't mean that they're going to encourage you to be. You know, what do they say? You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. And unfortunately, that's a fact. And so a lot of people get called privileged without anyone knowing what their personal background is or anything about them you know they just assume because they're accomplished that they must have had some kind of leg up and i'm sorry but that's just not the case it's one thing to be born on third base and act like you hit a triple it's another thing to be born on first base and still second right and again third you know that that's an accomplishment and that's frowned upon now well, it's frowned upon by people who find it strategic to frown upon it. Exactly. People that want to promote this and play the victim and pretend like that everybody's mistreating them and that, and that their own failures aren't, aren't due to themselves and their own decisions want to um, blame everyone else and, and they're looking for all excuses. You've got to work harder. You've got, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I know that's a politically incorrect thing to say in modern times, but I, I simply don't give a rat's ass. Uh, the truth is the truth. And, uh, you know, life's going to throw you a lot of curveballs. Um, some things you can, you can, most things you can overcome. Some things there's nothing you can do. You just have to roll the punches. But if you're not trying or if you're not capable, then there's not a hell of a lot anybody can do. And this kind of thing isn't going to make, going to change anything. Yes. If you can keep this race thing going, then you'll always have a business in getting rid of racism. Even Ibram X. Kendi proposed a branch of government, right, regarding anti-racism. Okay, so Ibram X. Kendi, if you don't know who that is, he is one of the most racist people on the planet while he pretends to fight racism. Very disgusting individual. And what do you need to justify that? You need racism. It's in his best interest to perpetuate racism. You know, in, in order to uh, maintain a career. Then there are people who are like, uh, wow, well, this is a, you know, billion dollar industry. I'm going to get in on this. You know, I do my trainings and things like that and accuse people uh, of racism just to keep it perpetuated, right? To keep it going so that it never goes away so that I keep making my money. Or It is a multi-billion dollar industry. Yes, it is. Every of course, and, and that's a factor. That's a major factor in, in people 
uh, having incentive to keep it going, keep it, keep it rolling, because it's a billion dollar industry. The company, yeah, they feel they have to. Right, and there it is. They feel like they have to. They have to say something. They have to signal to the world that they're doing something. Whether that something is effective or not is secondary. Is it effective? It doesn't seem to be effective. No. Uh, in fact, it seems to be doing worse. It seems to be making people uh, less likely to interact with people who are unlike them. Well, not to mention the fact, well, yeah, because everything is a landmine now. Anything you say, anything you do, whether it's one minute it'll be something that everybody considers a good thing to say or do. The next minute on a whim, people decide that it's actually a bad thing and you shouldn't say or do it. And so everything's a landmine. So, of course, you don't want to risk your job, risk your education uh, for something that's simply a misunderstanding. Well, it's a misunderstanding on your part. It's definitely not a misunderstanding on their part. They, they're intentionally pushing you onto that landmine for something that you haven't really done. But they don't care because, you know, it, it's to their benefit. All right. Anyway, at any rate, um, what can I say? It's disgusting. You know, because it's like a minefield now. Less likely. Yep, I just said that, like yes, a minefield. Yes, yes, yes. After a training where you hear things about microaggressions, right? Microaggressions. Also, it's it's not changing the stats. Nobody's succeeding more because because these they're they're dragging people down. They're not lifting people up, and that's supposedly their intention, but they're not accomplishing that. Um, if you ask somebody what they do for a living, somehow that's racist, right? If you learn that, then why would you take a chance? I better not talk to Eric because I might say something wrong. Precisely. Any other ideas about this not working? Well, if you compel people, you know, to uh, go to certain things, just out of pure resentment, they may, you know, uh, back away and, and, and rebel. I, I saw that myself, even when I was doing uh, diversity training, that wasn't especially woke. All this money is spent, all these courses, all this time. Why doesn't it get the results they want? Well, it might be getting the results they want. Depends on who you mean by they. Why doesn't it bring racial harmony to the office? Because diversity, equity, and inclusion, those words don't mean what most people think they mean. Diversity is diversity of bodies, of skin color, um, uh, ethnicity, not of thought. You know, you can have many different bodies, but they have to be, you know, basically on the same page ideologically. That page is often something akin to uh, critical social justice. Inclusion means, well, you can't make people uncomfortable. And in a world of microaggressions, that's easy to do. So now inclusion means I'm going to silence myself and not talk to the black people. Exactly. Right? Um, and equity, as uh, most people know, um, does not mean equality. It means equality of outcome. That's exactly right. He's got it down perfectly. So, you know, equity, DEI, diversity means diversity of, of racial and ethnic groups. It does not mean diversity of thought. It doesn't mean having different opinions. Everybody has to have basically the same worldview, the same opinions, or you, or you have to go, or you'll be fired, or you'll be kicked out of school, or you'll get bad grades, you'll get bad reviews on your, on your job. Um, and you'll be, you'll be behind the eight ball. And so it's, it's a way to pressure you into conforming. It's, it's not what it, what they, the claim it's intended for.
Equity, of course, uh, is, uh, you know, equity, of course, is, as he just said, and I'm basically just repeating what he said, but equity, of course, is equity of out- equality of outcome, not equality of, of opportunity. So unless everybody's going to have the, an equal outcome, which is, it's not virtually impossible, it's outright impossible. Different people have different skill sets. Different people have different levels of education. Uh, different people are motivated differently. Some people are highly motivated. Some people are really not that motivated. And if they're not that motivated, then they're not going to succeed as much as somebody who's highly motivated. Um, there's just no way to account for all the different factors that could uh, you know, affect the outcome. There's just no way. And so you're constantly going to be looking for equality of outcome. Uh, and you're constantly going to be taking drastic, ridiculous, alarmist measures to, to achieve that. And it's just never going to stop. It's it just going to, because you can't, you can't achieve it. And if you're determined to achieve it, whether you can achieve it or not, and you can't achieve it, it's not possible, then it's, it's a never-ending cycle. It, it, it's a never-ending cycle of getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And this country is being absolutely ripped apart. It's being, it's coming to part of the seams. And this has to stop. This has to stop one way or the other. Things have to be reversed if they can be reversed. And if they're not, then the Western civilization and specifically the United States, because that's where I live, is all going to come undone. And that's going to be the end of it. And uh, it's things like this that, you know, makes being terminally ill with cancer not feel so bad. All right, and uh, obviously inclusion is where you just want everybody included. You don't want to offend anybody, and uh, so you, you you're not allowed to have an opinion. That's not that's again back to being politically correct. You have to be politically correct, because outside of political correctness or even inside of political correctness, people are going to find a way to be offended. They use things called microaggressions, which means you can pretty much include anything as offensive. make sure everybody ends up in the same place no matter how they got there which is why we get rid of aptitude tests um, which is why uh, we get rid of AP classes which is why we have equitable math and things like that that's equity because there were equitable too many math. Asians and whites in the AP class apparently or not enough black people and, and that's interesting um, it's easy to say people are doing this out of resentment Right. But some people may be doing this out of love. You know, is it hate for white people or love for black people? You know, and um, what's motivating them now? Yes, they're still misguided, um, but they see this as, well, the ends justify the means. And, and... I, I think some of them, some of them are, are motivated by love and some are motivated by hate and bigotry. No doubt in my mind. The ends are racial equality and and black dignity, so I'm going to do what I have to do. But it's real. We whites have most of the power, most of the money. We hold most of the high positions. Some of that is genuine achievement. Some is racism. Yeah. So what do you do? You give other people the opportunity to acquire those things themselves. You, you know, uh, get them into a, a good um, school. You, you. You bring back institutions like churches and 
and um, other after-school programs. You you teach them what it means to be an entrepreneur in this world. It's not just about um, victimhood. It's not just about white oppressors. You know, there's some of that going on, but there's also some agency that we have, you know, to get to where we want to go. And if we keep saying, well, there's nothing we can do, we can't win because of the white oppressor, then what is that going to do to an entire group of people? It's going to end up in a failure and disaster. And it's, it's going to undermine, um, it, let's just assume for the sake of argument that it's good intentions. It's going to undermine the good intentions, and it's going to actually hurt the people. It's going to hurt everybody. But it's including the people that you're supposedly trying to help. And that's, that's you know, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to convince people that are so brainwashed that they think this is the way to go. I really don't. I wish I did. But you can tell them, you can explain it. It doesn't matter who you are, if you're black or white or Chinese or, you know, Mexican. It doesn't matter who you are. When you're trying to explain it to someone who's brainwashed in this um, DEI um, cult, they're simply not going to listen. So I, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if this uh, Professor Eric Smith, as I said, a very intelligent, well-educated black man, knows the, knows, can think of a solution, but I, I sure as hell can't. Nothing good. And what's it going to do if you say being on time is not a good thing? Right. Right. Or that, you know, um, a standardized English, at least having proficiency in it, is a form of oppression. What are you really doing? I mean, if you wanted to hold down a group of people without them knowing it, this woke thing is a good strategy. Another example. This is a LinkedIn course by Robin D'Angelo. Yes, inspired by Robert D'Angelo anyway. Inspired. Yes. yes. And this blew up on the internet. Why? Yes. If I'm not mistaken, it was Coca-Cola um, that got caught doing this. I showed this to my students every semester as a, an exigence. So when, what do you do, uh, you know, conflict management? What do you do when your company does this? You know, I actually use that uh, example as a uh, kind of lesson. Um, but what was happening there is um, a training, a diversity training, in which whiteness in general was the problem. And the thesis statement, if you will, of this uh, training was try to be less white. Try to be less white means? Try, try to be less European or Eurocentric or more enlightenment driven. Try to be less classically liberal. Be less oppressive. Be less arrogant. Be less ignorant. It's reasonable. That is by no means a white thing. Um, but... The point is to demonize the other side as much as possible. Marcuse. Exactly. That's the whole point. To list these things as, as whiteness for the DEI program. This professor is absolutely right. It's, it's a way of demonizing the other side and breaking down their self-esteem so that they'll simply comply. All this um, uh, repressive tolerance. Nothing the other side can do can be accepted. You have to demonize them in all ways. And the white leaders of these groups pay money to be trashed. Yeah, it's a rite of passage, right? Hundreds of studies suggest anti-bias training doesn't reduce bias. I believe that. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, what, what it's doing is creating more chaos, you know, um, in, in, in certain places. Now, maybe there are places that are having you know, big issues with uh, race relations and things like that. And, and that can be dealt with in various ways. But some places are, you know, people are getting along. Right? Uh, 
they're working well together. But the implicit bias training is put there because human resources said we have to do this, right? And and now we're thinking about things like uh, I, I I want to ask this guy what time it is, but is that bad? In, in some way, that has to be bad now, right? You know, so you, you get people apprehensive and they're not talking to each other anymore. Asking right, you're, you're you're supposed to be trying to bring people together. You're not supposed to be trying to push them apart and make it to where you can't talk to each other. And that's exactly what DEI does, and that's what that's what old feminism did. Well, it's not old feminism; it's still around for a lot of people. Kate Smirthwaite from the UK is a good is a prime example of that. That woman is absolutely batshit crazy, and I've heard her so-called comedy, and yeah, she's she's not she's not really um, pro- she's not really proving that the stereotype of women not being funny. Um, is uh, inaccurate. <laughs> she her her comedy makes you it just makes you cringe and it's boring and it's flat and it, but I'm sure she thinks she's hilarious and I'm sure she has fans that come and see her because they support her you know her political agenda not because they think she's funny. They're willing to set through her her absolutely horrible comedy to uh, promote her political agenda for people to suppress stereotypes tends to reinforce them well now you're thinking about it more right you know if you're constantly thinking about oh am i going to say something wrong then you're thinking about saying something wrong you're thinking about those stereotypes so yes it it puts these things in the forefront uh of our minds and that's not necessarily a good thing no it's definitely not a good thing It, it makes people think about it more and it makes people analyze the hell out of it and instead of just living their lives. Instead of, you know, enjoying going to college or university or just regular elementary or in primary school, it uh, makes it to where they can't relax at work. It, you know, can't relax in any, any social situation. And so it, it absolutely um, makes things worse. Researchers looked at 800 companies after mandatory DEI trainings. Five years later, no increase in diversity of hiring. Companies actually saw a nine percent fall in how many black women were hired. It's one thing to nine percent fall. It's another thing to say they make things worse, right? Um, you would think that people would see that data and and, and change their their minds or change their methodologies or, or something nope. like that. It's not about because they're fanatical. They have much to do with it. No, it's not. It doesn't have much to do with it. It's not about data. It's not really about material change right it's, it's about a power grab it's about a culture change and they're winning it seems to me they're winning in certain contexts yes uh they seem to be winning in my field anyway of rhetoric and composition academia yeah yes especially the humanities social sciences things like that and now more and more the uh sciences medicine even but uh, i don't think it's that bad there what i don't know it sounds pretty goddamn bad when you have doctors talking about children that were assigned male at birth <laughs> or assigned female at birth, that's pretty goddamn bad. When when uh, the medical community starts rejecting um, reality, undeniable reality, in favor of uh, political correctness or woke, you know, woke ideology or whatever you want to call it, when they bend the knee to that type of nonsense, you you know we're in trouble. You know we're in a lot of trouble. Isn't it that bad? I think uh, those fields are more steeped in reason, scientific method, uh, the barriers of um, 
idiocy, if you will, are thicker there already. But I just saw all these medical students reciting privilege messages. We recognize inequities built by past and present traumas rooted in white supremacy, colonialism, wow. the gender binary, ableism, and all forms of oppression. Jesus. Yeah, that's happening. This was medical students, and they just read off that little speech here. Let, let's hear that again, because that's shocking. Privilege messages. We recognize inequities built by past and present traumas rooted in white supremacy, colonialism, the gender binary, ableism, and all forms of oppression. So gender binary. So in other words, as I just said a moment ago, so that doctors, doctors, um, you know, obstetricians, I think, I think that's the, what they call them, the ones that help deliver the baby obstetrician. If I'm wrong, just, you know, give me a big foot in the ass in the comments. But, you know, doctors that deliver babies are now saying, a, you know, a child signed at birth, male at birth or female at birth. You're not assigned male at birth or female at birth. You're not assigned human at birth. You're born a human, male or female. <laughs> so... This is getting batshit crazy. I'm waiting for them to say, well, assi assigned human at birth, but you could be a dog or a cat or even a, even a tiger or a parakeet. Yeah, that's happening. Um, I think a lot of this is performance as well. A lot of this is what people call virtue signaling. That virtue signaling is reaching, you know, theatrical proportions that's, right it's now. It's insane. What made you think something was wrong? Well, I thought something was wrong for a while. I didn't realize how wrong it was until um, 2019 when a uh, keynote address at the primary conference for my field, um, College Composition and Communication, melted the steel bars of racism and white language supremacy. The keynote argued that... Okay, so this keynote speaker is going to be the next clip after this clip. The next clip of him interviewing him interviewing the professor it's giving the keynote and uh it's it's an interesting interview so that'll be coming up next in this podcast um, among other things uh teaching standard english to students of color particularly black students is inherently racist if you use a single standard to grade your students languaging you engage in racism it's racist to teach black kids standard english that perpetuates white supremacy yes that's the idea Right. And even the presence of white professors is a problem. That so how are you going to get by in an English-speaking country if you can't speak proper English? That doesn't make sense. To me, it'd be racism not. It'd be racist not to teach everyone standard English because you're hurt. You're 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 undermining their future. Does some kind of uh, psychic harm uh, to students of color. So I heard that. Um, thought it was a bit misguided and said so on a bit misguided it's batshit crazy a listserv uh in my field uh the writing program administrators listserv uh, i put it out there basically in a long form way asking is this really a good idea is this the best way to to go about this and um what ensued was hardly a conversation it was more like a uh, social media mobbing session you wrote oh i'm sure they went off on him like crazy how dare you how dare you uh 
disagree with our brainwashed way of thinking. How dare you step out of the herd? There's no doubt about that. I'm concerned that the current leadership will have you believe that teaching standard English is experiences tyranny by our black and brown co-ed. Yes, so what they're saying is that to um, have students of color, especially black students who um, are um, descendants of slaves and things like that, to, on top of everything, force them to speak in a way that isn't their language, or write more, uh, more appropriately in a language that isn't theirs is inherently oppressive. The idea is that if you learn one dialect, you're replacing another. There's no idea that you're adding a dialect to your repertoire of dialects. That's not a possibility. You know, it has to be rendered as some kind of oppressor, oppressed uh, dichotomy in order to fit a particular narrative. Exactly. Exactly. They, 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 have, a, they have a script they want to go by. They want to continue to pretend like that somehow this is evil and it's oppressive. When in, in all actuality, if you're not teaching people proper English, proper math, and various other things that you're supposed to learn in, in primary school and in college and university, if you're not doing those things, then you're hurting everyone, especially the people you're trying to help. You're hurting everyone's future. You're destroying their earning potential. You're just by destroying their career possibilities. And it, it's just not going to work out well for them if you care, if you really and truly care. Now, if you're a cult member that just wants what you want, then I suppose you can do what you want to do. But uh, you're not achieving what you're claiming to want to achieve. And isn't it unfair? I mean, I have German parents who learned English in school, and they learned the supposed proper English. It gives a black kid who grew up without hearing that a disadvantage. All the more reason for that black kid to learn it you know, at the high school or college level. This is about practicality. It's about pragmatism. Um, it's about looking at a certain situation, um, gauging the audience, and making sure that you speak or write in a way that will, you know, best persuade them, best uh, get their attention. The whole point of rhetoric is to gauge your situation and act, speak, or write accordingly. Aristotle. Okay, so imagine, imagine you're going for a job or you're writing an essay to get into a college or university, or you're going for a job, and they want a resume. And unfortunately, your school and your, your educators in your primary school or your college or university never taught you how to, how to um, write proper English for the resume or for the essay. Never, never taught you how to fill out an application properly for a job interview. Uh, never taught you how to speak properly in an interview, how are you going to move on and get a better job and a better career? And, and how are you going to get a better education past that if people are not doing their job and teaching you how to, how to succeed in life? It just doesn't make any goddamn sense. Aristotle's definition is the primary definition of rhetoric. Okay, let's go back. Aristotle. Uh, German parents who learned English in school, and they learned the supposed proper English, it gives a black kid who grew up without hearing that a disadvantage. All the more reason for that black kid to learn it, you know, at the high school or college level. This is about practicality. It's about pragmatism. Um, it's about looking at a certain situation, um, gauging the audience, and 
making sure that you speak or write in a way that will, you know, best persuade them, best uh, get their attention. The whole point of rhetoric is to gauge your situation and act, speak, or write accordingly. Aristotle's definition is the primary definition of rhetoric. Uh, rhetoric is the ability in any given situation to discern the available means of persuasion. So what's available, that depends on who your audience is, what they already know, what they want to know, what their values are, things like that. So if your goal is to persuade, you're going to do whatever it takes to persuade them. And if you can learn a dialect that is prominent in most civic and professional situations uh, in America anyway, uh, you'll be better able to do that. So there's a practicality here that's being ignored. Exactly. For practical purposes, you need to know these things. You need to know these things. You're not going to persuade. You're not going to persuade a university to to enter you into or you, college or university. To and sometimes if it's a certain you know private school, prep school, you're not going to be able to convince them through your essay or your you know your university college application and uh, a college you know university or college education. Uh, I'm sorry, application. You're not going to be able to do that, and you're not going to be able to ace the interview if you're not if people didn't teach you the proper way to speak and the proper way to write. I mean, I know I'm sound like a broken record, but how people don't realize this and how you're undermining people's future by doing this to them, I I have absolutely no idea. That this is so baffling to me, and what it is is it's a DEI is a secular cult. There are several several. Um, closely related secular cults that exist. And they don't care if their methods actually work. They're going to do what they're going to do. Just like a fanatical religious cult. They're going to do what they're going to do. And uh, they're going to keep doing it no matter what happens, no matter what the results are. If the results are positive, that's wonderful. If they're horrible, that's okay. And if they're disastrous, that's okay too. Because they're going to stick to the plan no matter what. It's all about, oh, we're, this, black students are being um, eclipsed in some way. Their, um, their, their cultures are being suppressed. That's, that's hardly the case. So you, for arguing this, thought there'd be a discussion. Well, I mean, we are professors in communication. I thought we could communicate, you know. Um, I was so wrong about that. Um, I guess people were sick of the conversation. People often said, we had this conversation already. Aren't we past this? And as a rhetorician, you can't say things like that. You're never past a conversation. There's always somebody else who has a say. And if they don't have a say, this is not a pluralistic and civil society. This is something very different. Um, the, the philosopher Kenneth Burke had a, you know, a kind of a, allegory the parlor allegory where uh you know you there's a there's a conversation going on at a party and um you go in and you can't just start talking right away you don't know what the topic is so you have to listen a little bit in right. order to contribute you have to first listen and then you speak accordingly you know that's what we're trying to teach students or that's what i thought anyway now it's yeah that's what you're supposed to be teaching students Unfortunately, that's not what colleges and universities and even primary schools are teaching students. About, um, you know, uh, dignity and uh, decentering whiteness. Instead of a discussion, people called you racist. 
Do you enjoy using Western modes of argument to invalidate people of color? Check your privilege. Yeah. So think about this. In response to his criticism and, and, and airing of his concerns, a black university professor was, was called racist. How, ba- how, how goddamn insane is that? How over-the-top ridiculous is that? We, we live in a fucking clown world. That's why I have the clown makeup on my face. Because we live in a fucking clown world. And if you don't see that, then I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. When a black man is called racist for, for saying, you know, stating his concerns about DEI, not preparing black students, white students, Asian students, Hispanic students, or anybody, then he's called racist by, his, by the community and by his fellow professors and other faculty and even students. I, I mean, how crazy is this? That old chestnut. Check your privilege. Um, yeah, that, uh, that happened. And it happened because what they saw in me was a bigger threat than anything they've seen before. A black person saying it's okay to teach black students uh, standardized English. Why is that a threat? Um, it's a threat because when a white person does it, oh, of course you don't understand this. But when I do it, it's a, it's a, a more difficult challenge. Right. So, yeah, and, 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 and uh, yeah, you know, and I, I agree because I've actually, believe it or not, I've been in that situation, not as a black man because I'm not a black man, but I've been in those situations where atheists will make most, the overwhelming majority of atheists, not all, obviously, there's me and, and several other people I've come across, but most atheists are far left-wing liberals. And so when they attack Christianity and when they give, you know, and they attack Judaism and they give Islam a free pass, I come up with arguments against them. I come up arguments for pro-life. I come up with arguments for, I have arguments, you know, for securing the border, for deporting illegal immigrants. And I give, you know, Christianity and, you know, Judaism credit where credit's due. And they don't want to give them any credit. So, and I do, you got, you got to give, you got, what's right is right. You got to give credit where credit is due. Um, so, but they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that because they consider all religions their enemy and they're leftists. They're far left wing people. They hate to admit that. They hate to admit that, but that's just the facts. That is just the facts. So, you know, that, that puts me in kind of the same position as he's in. Because they see him an atheist and they th- think, oh, he's immediately going to be on my side. Wrong. Wrong. I'm not going to be on your side just because we're both atheists. Just like I'm tall. I'm really tall. Super tall. And that doesn't mean I'm going to be on the side of every tall person. <laughs> That's not how it works. That is not how it works. I examine a situation and I, I, I decide based on, on the facts um, what's, who's right and who's wrong and whose position I support and whose position I don't support. And uh, that's what he, he's doing that for the black community and I'm, I do that for the atheist community. All right. I'm going to start back up. Right. So they have to, you know, pull out all the stops. 
and they did people piled on professor at portland state said thank you powerful post to the person who criticized you <laughs> thank you eve eve spent tremendous labor physically intellectually and emotionally to write his response and most probably took him extra time to recover from that labor it's like they're he he so eve had to recover because he wrote uh, a response to the to this college professor's um you know, criticism about the, the DEI program. Really? Physical, it was physically hard on him to write something. Victims everywhere. Yes. Well, that's, that's the point. Let's you go have back to... just a little bit. I want to hear that again. Powerful post to the person who criticized <laughs> you. Thank you, Eve. Eve spent tremendous labor, physically, intellectually, and emotionally, to write his response. And most probably took him extra time to recover from that labor. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're victims everywhere. Yes. Well, that's, that's the point. You have to perpetuate the victimhood. That's part of the narrative. The victimhood is being used here as a, um, a cudgel of sorts to gain power, right? And to try to decenter uh, what they see as what they're calling anyway. Um, whiteness or toxic whiteness or white supremacy or something like that. Yeah, they they use it. The 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 far left wing fanatics use it to beat you over the head with it, and so they can try to um, intimidate you and get you to submit and and get back in the herd. It's a power grab. It's a dignity grab. You know, and and that's all it is. Are they crazy? This it just isn't even logical discussion has academia gone insane yes <laughs> that's the short answer yes it has gone insane uh, but the it, it's not logic because you need logic you need reason to build things right they want to tear things down the last thing you want is logic and reason when you want to tear things down that will slow down the process if anything but there has been stuff that ought to be torn down right there has been white supremacy white control right there has been all that stuff and and it has been dealt with and is being dealt with in several ways unfortunately a lot of what's going on in my field is more idealist than realist and what that's right that's exactly right as i said before and he's saying it now it's more about their ideals than 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 the realistic goals it's more about their ideals than what than what really helps and what really hurts it's idealism. It's a, it's a, again, it's a religious cult mentality, but it's not, it's not religious. It's not a religious in the, you know, it's not religious in that, in a supernatural sense. It's a, a, a secular cult. What I mean by that is it's easier to change the name of a bridge. It's easier to tell somebody to check their privilege than it is to actually change things institutionally. So they uh, perform this uh, activism. And call that progress, right? When in reality, it's really just theater. What is progress? Progress is reform, in, in my opinion. Um, and, and while you you have a conversation, you look at policies, right? You 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 talk about the pros and cons of these policies, the um, the worthiness and unworthiness of them, as um, you know classical rhetoricians may say, right? And you act accordingly. You deliberate. That's what's supposed to happen. 
Yeah, you base, you like everything else in life, you do everything on merit. You base someone, you base your judgment on on how valid someone's argument is, on how logical it is, and not how emotional it is. Emotion should never come into the equation. It should always be based on logic and reason. And that's basically what this guy's saying. People think uh, in academia, and this is my take on things based on research and, and things like that, I think people have come so far, um, the country has come so far that, you know, talking about, you know, uh, racism, oppression and things like that is losing power. We had a black president for two terms. Um, the biggest rising uh, immigrant class is from West Africa. Things are getting better. They're losing that leverage. So they the have to. Victimhood leverage? Yes, yes. So now they have to really ramp it up. All white people are racist. Okay, we got to start this off from the beginning. This woman, I've actually had arguments with her in a in an app. Well, an app that's now turned to complete shit. But it's her name is Ashley Shackelford. I mean, this woman, she's her uh, blood type is pudding. Yeah, her name is Ashley Shackelford, and long several years ago, when I well, a couple of years ago when I started, I don't know how many years ago I started talking in this app called Clubhouse. It was an audio only chat rooms and stuff like that, and uh, I humiliated the shit out of her. I told her that she was as, she was in, as intelligent as she was beautiful, and uh, everybody in the room, I mean hundreds of people, just busted up laughing all at the same time. <laughs> so you should you should if you haven't seen her you should google her or 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 um or uh search youtube for her i'd, I'd probably be better but uh, ashley shackleford okay so here let's she's standing in front of a group of white women i've seen this video so many times with her doing this she's standing in front of a group of older middle-aged or older white women um and this is what she has to say really ramp it up all white people are racist i really want any white person in the room to know up front that this is what we're dealing with that it's not going to be this coddling of white tears and what that looks like we're not going to discuss oh maybe some of us will work it out at the back at bottom of it it says paypal me slash um i don't know something about her name or something it's hard to read at the bottom but yeah so <laughs> PayPal or she was PayPal buddy for saying that kind of shit to people. No, you're always going to be racist, actually. I believe that white people are born into not being human. This is extreme, oh. I take it. Okay, she just said that all white people are racist. They're always going to be racist no matter what. And she thinks that white people were born not to be human. But that's not, she's talking about racism and all the all the horrible shit she's saying is apparently not racism. It is extreme, but it's becoming more of the norm and less of an aberration uh, in, in my field anyway. As, as far as the people who you hear all the time anyway, there are a lot of people silencing themselves uh, because they don't want to be mobbed. I mean, they saw what they did to a black guy. You know, what are you going to do uh, white people or, or even uh, you know, uh, Latino or, or, or Asian or, or, or something like that? It exactly. Just, Chris asked you. So yeah. what? 
Well, I mean, so what is, yeah, you're right. I mean, it didn't really hurt me. In fact, it, it, it made me louder. Um, my issue here is the field and the devolution of the field into something I can't even label right now. We're not doing rhetoric um, anymore. We're doing woke studies, you know? That's exactly what it is. It's not rhetoric, it's woke studies. And I think that's a shame. I think uh, my field has a lot to offer, and we're not offering it because we're bogged down by these these marginal um, issues. Now, that is not to say that we can't talk about race and rhetoric simultaneously and center race. We can definitely do that. But that's not what's going on here. What's going on is the perpetuation of a narrative. The narrative is on. That narrative is oppressor-oppressed. And let's broaden that beyond the field of rhetoric to the whole world here, because what undergraduates are listening to women like this and i don't know what a student comes away with from that well i mean the, the problem there is that many students are getting one take the professors or or their student leaders what have you they're not saying this is one way of looking at things they're saying this is the way anybody opposed to this is opposed to equality they're opposed to diversity and equity and inclusion right and by oppose, I mean anybody who's asking questions, right? Anybody who wants clarification. Yeah, anybody that doesn't even oppose, they just ask questions, like you said, for clarification. Okay, so what do you mean by this? What do you mean by that? Can you explain this? Why do you think that? They automatically get labeled racist. I was once told that by asking somebody to elaborate, I was trying to silence her. By asking her to elaborate? Yes. Well, as a white person in that class, I would just shut up and figure I have no right to, to express doubt. Yeah, about a year back, um, I had a student, um, a white student in class, and, and it was he came to my office after I said, this is a safe, you know, you can, you can say your, what you need to say here, we're going to have conversations, things like that. Uh, and he came to my office, and he was like, no, I can't. I cannot do that. And you know I can't do that. And I tried to convince him that in my space, in my class, you can, and he wasn't having it. And he had a point. White people are socialized to feel they are inherently superior because they are white. By age three to four, children understand it's better to be white. I'm sure there's research that yeah. supports that. Yes. There is. Shouldn't that be told? Yes, it should be told. It should be dealt with. The thing is, a lot of this is a, it happens in a non-secular uh, manner. What I mean by that is you have a problem and then you have a solution and the connection is not quite clear, right? So we have students um, who are three years old who think that whiteness is inherently better than blackness, including some black kids who think whiteness is inherently better than blackness. So we need to do what, right? Um, restorative justice, we need to get rid of AP classes, uh, we need equitable math. We need to uh, stop punishing students who are misbehaving. You know, the, the solution doesn't match the problem to me. And I think we can have conversations about, you know, proper solutions. Um, but we're not doing that. What? No, nobody's trying to come up with proper solutions. Again, they belong to a, a far left-wing, fanatical, secular cult. And they're determined to stay on the same narrow path no matter what the results, because they're idealistic fanatics. It's equitable math. 
Equitable Math um, is a document that came out a couple of years ago saying that the way we teach math is inherently racist. Um, it is paternalistic. Um, the teacher shouldn't act like a teacher. The teacher shouldn't expect right answers. The teacher should grade. Okay, the teacher shouldn't expect right answers. How is that going to help the child? If, you, if you're not expecting right answers, how the hell is that going to help the child? I mean, we're, 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 these, these are well-educated people coming up with this bullshit that's destroying society. Based on the student's desire to know. Because, you know, black kids can't do math. Got this Microsoft video. We want to acknowledge that the land where the Microsoft campus is situated was traditionally occupied by the Sammamish, the Duwamish. The it goes on and on. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to apologize. Yes, but what is it really doing? Uh, the land acknowledgement, other than making the person saying it feel better about himself or herself. I mean, think about it. They're not giving... Yeah, the, the, the tribes that lived on that land hundreds of years ago, all those people are dead. Who are you apologizing to? I mean, I, I don't understand. I really don't. The land back, right? <laughs> You know, a land acknowledgement is like walking up to somebody who's eating his lunch, taking a sandwich, eating it, and saying, as you eat it, sorry I took your sandwich, you know, as you enjoy that sandwich and walk away. That's what a land acknowledgement is to me. It makes no sense. It's all about performance, um, and it's about um, alleviating the guilt of the person giving it. Yeah, it's, it's about, look what a good person I am. Look at a one, what a wonderful person I am. Exactly. But they're all doing it so enthusiastically. It's, it's like a religious right. Exactly. That's what I've been saying over and over again. It's like a fanatical cult. It's like a religious cult, only it's secular. I, yes, it is kind of like a religious right. In fact, John McWhorter would say as much, right? Uh, woke racism is about um, calling uh, this movement a religion. Not metaphorically, but literally. And, I mean, there's there's some... I mean, if you follow the research, if you will, you know, and, and go back. There's a lot of religiosity uh, when it comes to uh, social justice activism. In fact, you know, a lot of this comes from what's called the Frankfurt School and, and, and cultural Marxism, uh, critical theory and, and things like that. You also have at this Microsoft event, I think, these people doing for blind people. I'm... Natalia. I'm a Caucasian woman with long blonde hair and I go by she, her. They all embrace. She goes by she, her. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, it makes me think I must be not understanding something. Well, yeah, and that's that's kind of the idea. You know, they, they, they want to confuse people uh, as much as they want to virtue signal, right? Uh, if you confuse yeah, I people, think they yeah. want to make people feel included. They think it'll make others feel included. They're good people. Yeah, some of them are. You know, and some of them not all are of them. not. Right. Florida Chris Rufo is appointed to a university board, says he'll replace DEI with EMC, Equality, Merit, and Color Blindness. I like equality and merit and color blindness. I like those things. Um, those things are being, again, demonized by certain people. Colorblindness does not mean you don't see color. It doesn't mean you don't see racism. 
It means whether I like you or not doesn't depend on your race. That's all it's ever meant. Exactly. Thank but you. But if you want to spin this into something, if you want to spin this into something that matches the oppressor oppressed narrative, then you will say something like colorblindness ignores racism and the fact that racism is out there. Right. Right. Merit is a good thing. Now, we can talk about what constitutes a meritocracy, you know, uh, what is meritorious and what isn't. We can have a conversation about that. But we need merit. We need a standard um, in which to uh, measure somebody's uh, aptitude. This, guy, this guy's absolutely brilliant. Something like that. We need that. And merit is not something we can ever really get rid of. The people who complain about meritocracy have meritocracies. It's just a different one. Right. You know? Um, that meritocracy may be about, you know, who can spout the most woke statements, you know, that gives you merit in, in some sense. So meritocracy doesn't go away. They, they just want their meritocracy. I think that should be a conversation. Is the pendulum swinging back? I think it is, yes. Um, and Man, I hope it is. And a good thing right now. I hope it doesn't swing too far in the other direction. Uh, one of my biggest fears uh, this entire time uh, has been the backlash. You know, the potential backlash to all this, you know, uh, how is the pushback going to look is we, can, we don't want to get rid of things like ethnic studies. Which is, it might be disastrous because when you take things too far in one direction, when it snaps back, when that pendulum swings the other way, quite often it swings all the way to the farther extreme. We want to do it right. But if we're swinging to the point where we got have to get rid of ethnic studies and other things that are, you know, fine, that's another problem. Is it anywhere close to swinging too far in the other direction? Oh, not yet. Not yet. Uh, this is a, I'm speculating about the future. That's all. And hopefully if we can speculate now, we can avoid that in the future. You know, that's the idea. But yeah, I think it is swinging back. Why did you stop being a diversity officer? Uh, because I felt I was preaching to the choir a lot. With every event I had, it was exactly. the same, you know, a few people. And that number would get smaller. You know, you, you can't... Same few whites or blacks? Both. Yeah, yeah. It, it's hard to uh, compel somebody to do things, right? And I'm, I don't like being compelled, you know, um, at all. But when you don't make it mandatory, nobody shows up either. So I just thought it was a useless thing. There's a better way to go about doing this than having a diversity officer exactly. uh, do all these events, right? What's the better way? Call Cape. Talking is a good way, right? Um, talking and being resilient enough to realize that people aren't going to always say things in the way you want them to say it. Right. Um, realizing that... Again, this man's name is Eric, E-R-E-C, Smith, and he's professor of rhetoric at uh, York College. Rhetoric is just speaking, basically. How to speak properly. If you walk into something with a good faith attitude, right... Uh, that you can probably get farther than if you walk in this uh, place uh, thinking that these people are already against me, right? And I, I, a lot of that is happening right now. Genuine conversation about what we can do and how we can do it and how we feel. People don't say what they feel because they don't want to get canceled. They don't, don't want to be called racist. They don't want to be called the angry black person, right? So it's, it's, it's all over the place, right? People are censoring, and we have to stop doing that. Okay, that's from John Stossel TV. So we're going to go to another clip. 
but before I do that, I just want to say I completely agree with him. The only way that you can solve these type of problems is through conversations, open and honest conversations. Now, you can't make it about race or about gender, you know, male and female races. You can't focus on that 24 hours a day, seven days a week in every single circumstance. Otherwise, people are just going to get sick of hearing it and they're going to they're going to avoid it and they're just going to shut it down. Okay, so let's go to the next clip. What a blind sense of privilege. What a lack of compassion. A Salinoy is a prominent professor. of. Okay, a Salinoy. A-S-A-O-I-N-O-U-E. Professor of Rhetoric and Composition, Arizona, Arizona, I'm sorry, wow, my brain is gone. Arizona State University. Now, this is the keynote speaker that they spoke about, that the other gentleman spoke about, that Eric Smith spoke about, Professor Eric Smith spoke about in the last clip. And John Stossel is going to talk about him and he's going to interview him. It's going to be a fairly short clip. Rhetoric. He doesn't want kids graded on English. We must stop saying that we have to teach this dominant English. If we do, that's racist, he says. If you use a single standard to grade your students' languaging, you engage in racism. That's, that's insane. Uh, the official language of the United States. Again, uh, no, it's not official as far as when the Republicans tried to vote it in as official. The Democrats fought it, of course, because the Democrats are anti-American. But France is French. America is English. Um, Canada is English. There's, there's a section of, of Canada that speaks French. Constant conflict between the French and the English in, in Canada. Uh, English spoken in the British Isles, um, all throughout the UK and through um, the Republic of Ireland, Australia, New Zealand. And if you don't speak English, you're going to have a hell of a time uh, succeeding in life. People believe him. Education journals publish his ideas. Some schools have dropped grades. I'm skeptical, so I ask Annoy about it. He grew a beard after his speech. If you use a single standard to grade your students' languaging, you engage in racism. That standard English tends to exclude um, uh, many groups of people. Annoy claims I was unfair to him in this prior video because I said the he used standard English. But he did say this. We must stop saying that we have to teach this dominant English. What I'm saying is that students should have choices. So is it... No, that's like saying students should have choices when it comes to math. You learn math. You learn properly how to do math equations. And you don't have a choice. You, you have to learn it a specific way if you're going to get the correct answers. Possible? And is it, uh, does it happen that a student comes in... Uh, who wants to learn the standardized English um, in my classes or ones that I, that I would promote? Absolutely. And I wouldn't want to hold that against that student. So they shouldn't have to learn standardized English. Right. Isn't that what helps them succeed? No. Every country has... That's exactly right. It helps them to succeed. This, I can't believe professors are so goddamn crazy. Standardized language. If you're in France, you... 
advance yourself by speaking French well. And there are uh, heated debates in those countries about the use and uh, and and details of those standards. This man's I'm a fool. saying that I don't think everyone needs to be held to it. My parents came here from Germany. They made me learn standardized English. Where would I be if they hadn't? There are absolutely benefits to a standardized English in no the world. Shit. But that same world creates those same benefits through certain kinds of biases. Those can be bad. You know, his ideas are influential. U.S. News credits him for professors ditching traditional grading and choosing labor-based grading instead, where teachers don't grade on spelling or even the quality of work. Grades focus on attendance and getting work in on time. Being a, being there present and getting working on time does not mean that it's good quality work and that you know what you've been taught. But of course, with this goofball, God knows what you're being taught. You you might you you might or actually it sounds like you probably wouldn't get you that he wouldn't teach you how to speak properly and how to write properly. No matter what other people think. Your languaging is good the way it is. You got here with it. So I think that, to me, that feels very compassionate. It's just not true. It's all about compassion, he says. My one teacher, I can't remember what state he came from, but my one teacher came from the Deep South. And he said when he went to university, when he went to, I don't know if it was college or university, but he said when he went to, went to uh, you know, university or college, that he had one professor that would not let you in class would not let you stay in class and wouldn't he let you speak up in class if you couldn't speak proper English. He had a very thick, thick, deep South accent that made it difficult to understand and he used a lot of deep South slang terms. He was a white guy, but deep South slang terms. And this professor made him learn how to speak English properly. And he was, he was actually, th- he, you know, told the entire class that he was thankful. The speech to professors had a different tone. White people like you, just like you, who came before you, have had most of the power, decided most of the things, built the steel cage of white language supremacy. I think you're toning it down for my audience here, because you and your conference speech were all about, this is an oppressive country and white racism. Yeah, that is the uh, largest uh, annual conference of my field. I was the chair of that, and I read that rhetorical situation as a as an, a, a moment to make a statement. You actively this moronic fool, this absolute maniac, should not be teaching anybody anything. They should let him go, just based on that speech. And that's probably not the first. That's probably one of many. Promote white language supremacy, which is the handmaiden to white bias in the world. The kind that kills black men on the streets. Teaching kids standardized English kills black men? It can, I think. I think it can. How? We have Eric Garner saying, I can't breathe, but no one's listening, and he dies. That's the logics that, that we get. Logics? Eric Garner died because we reject black language? I don't understand what... It- so I saw that video, and Eric Garner was very understandable. He, 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 you could understand everything he said. So this is just insane bullshit. No, I was talking about much of the time. If that's how professors speak today, I see why college students are depressed. What I'm getting at is the logics that go with white language supremacy and uh, what I call uh, habits of white language or howl. 
years ago, there was a controversy when Oakland promoted Ebonics, saying it's just a different way of talking. A nationwide debate was ignited when the Oakland, California school board recognized Ebonics as a language. I need all of you right now on the count of three to say ask on three. One, two, three. Ebonics advocates said teachers like this were wrong to tell kids don't say acts. So the black teacher was wrong for telling people not to say acts, but to say ask. <laughs> this is so goddamn ridiculous. English, they say, should be valued as its own language. You say she's here, you can say she here. That's just bad English, isn't it? How can you say that's a Of course language? it is. That's different English. No, no it's bad English. It's not bad no, English. That's not, but that's your opinion that it's bad. It didn't no, it's the dictionary. Enough. Everyone says, yes, we believe in that, but... It doesn't, they didn't do anything in their classrooms or in their schools or other places. What you're talking about now really is what the Ebonics advocates were saying. I think so. You've won. <laughs> I don't know if, we've, I don't know if, if anyone has won. Um, I think we still are in the struggle. You know what? Yeah, you're always in a struggle because you want to create a fake struggle, Mr. Weirdbeard. And uh, you're just a weird guy. Just a really weird, fucked up guy. And you're fucking your students up. Talks a lot about white... He's, he's on a video conference from Tempe, Arizona. Supremacy and white language supremacy. White people can perpetuate white supremacy by being present. Now, what I'm not saying... It... White people can per perpetuate right white supremacy just by being present, just by, be by existing. Jesus Christ. Tell me this isn't racism. Is that white people are bad. You identify as a Japanese-American. Mm -hmm. Japanese-Americans earn, on average, much more than the average American. Mm -hmm. What kind of white supremacist country lets that happen? Well, I probably am one of the exceptions. But you're not... You're, you're not one of the exceptions. Asians make a lot more money and a lot more successful than white people. Japanese Americans earn eighty-three thousand dollars a year. The average American sixty-two thousand. It's a big difference. Japanese American communities. We wanted to be seen as American, more American. Japanese Americans prospered because of that. So do other immigrant groups. Many now earn more than whites in America. They succeeded by learning standard English because America has been relatively colorblind. I get a little uh, uncomfortable with colorblindness. That's not how humans work. Um, I, I wish that we could. I really do. Um, but there's no such thing as a neutrality. But there is neutrality. If you hire people based on the highest test score, you're being neutral about other factors. Exactly. Merit-based system, folks. How many fucking times does it have to be said? Merit-based system. Anything else is substandard and is just not going to work. Depends on how you see the test. Tests may be biased, and high school honors classes, he calls them. Pretty white spaces, very white spaces. The students who end up there are almost all demographically white. Should we abolish the honors classes? I mean, clearly some kids have an advantage. They have the computers, they have interested parents, so get rid of... Wouldn't it be a better school to get rid of those honors classes put those same students back into the other classes with others so that they can help their peers. That's what no, that, that wouldn't be better. You, 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 you drag the honor students down. College is all about meeting people you, you wouldn't 
have met otherwise. Well, that might make things more equal, but it clearly hurts the kids who studied more, worked harder. Yep. They don't get to learn as much. That's right. I don't think so. I think it absolutely helps everybody. Finally, talking to professors, he said, the point is a Marxian one. Who owns the means of opportunity production in the classroom? Oh, Marxist. Marxian. (laughs) Marxian. Yeah. Where has Marxian philosophy ever helped people? Where has it ever worked? Marxian and Marxist philosophies. Nowhere. Critique. They don't tell us what to do. They don't give us a plan of action. They're not socialism. The way I use uh, Marxist critiques and analysis in my work is to understand systems. The capitalist system isn't working very well. <laughs> it's so easily corrupted. Um, yeah. It hasn't worked. Marxist, Marxism hasn't worked anywhere. And he knows it. There are some nice things about capitalism. There really are. Um, but it is a deeply flawed system that is based on equality. What's better? What's ever work better to lift people out of poverty and misery? Yeah. I Nothing. Think, that's a great question, John. I, I don't think that I have the answer, but I do know that... Like, yeah, of course you don't have the answer. Capitalism brings people out of poverty. It, it makes people successful in life. It gives some people incentive to something, you know, incentive through giving them something to strive for. And uh, this man wants to take all that away. And when you ask him what's a better system... He doesn't think he has the answer. Well, I, I think we all know he doesn't have the answer. Otherwise, he'd give it. I mean, I don't think that it's... I don't think I'm saying, you know, dump it. Dump capitalism. I we think you are. Have, I don't think that's an option either. I think we can do better. But what would do better? For years, intellectuals promised Marx's ideas would work better than capitalism. Those ideas led to mass murder and yep, poverty. That's right. Nevertheless, at colleges today, Marx's views are widespread. Students often hear them unchallenged. I say these ideas are wrong and bad, and they ought to be vigorously debated. Exactly. Okay. Thank you for watching. And I thank Asao and Oi for agreeing to debate. Most Marxian professors we contact these days won't debate. Of course not. Okay, so that was the second. That was the second uh, clip. Of course, most of them won't debate because they can't, because they know they're going to lose, and that's the bottom line. So anybody that holds a view and doesn't want to debate it, which is always people on the left, you never hear people on the right say, "I don't want to debate. I don't want to have a discussion." It's always people on the left. The leftists don't want to have discussions. They don't want to have debates because they know damn well they're going to lose. They know they can't defend their views. Uh, that's why when he asked him, what's a better system? he I was shocked because he, he was honest and openly admitted that he didn't have the answer to that question. Well, if you don't have the answer to that question, then why do you hold the position you do? You know, you, you obviously, you, you're supposed to be a college professor, university professor. Um, and, and uh, you know, in re- rhetoric and rhetorical arguments. But you're not you're not fulfilling that uh, role. You're, you're proposing you know you know you're you're opposing for philosophies, and then when you're asked what's a better system than capitalism, you, you you come up empty. At least you're honest about the fact that you don't know you don't have the answer. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, you're not honest about not knowing what you're talking about. You know what you're talking about, yet you don't have the answer. 
How the hell does that make sense? That makes zero sense. And anybody that thinks it does has, has mashed potatoes for brains. So, I think we're going to wrap this up. This has been the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist. And uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't subscribed, please feel free to subscribe. That's how you support the show. You subscribe. It doesn't cost you any money. Uh, my main home base, I consider it to be Spotify. Although I actually get way more listeners, over double the listeners from Apple Podcasts. And I'm actually probably on roughly 60 podcast platforms, which I know just sounds crazy, but Stitcher, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, Stitcher no longer exists. So anybody that was on the former podcast platform Stitcher is going to have to find a new home, a new base to listen, a new uh, platform to listen to. Unfortunately, I got a decent amount of listeners from Stitcher, so. Hopefully I didn't lose those listeners. At any rate, um, please subscribe. Uh, and as hypocritical as I am, because I don't leave, I don't leave comments. I almost never. I've been, I have been lately just trying to get out of the whole being a hypocrite about this uh, move. But you know, I don't leave comments very often. Even even now that I leave some, it's not very often. But. I ask you, you know, the first part of supporting the show is to subscribe. You know, when I see my subscriber numbers go up, it, it shows me that people are listening and people enjoy the show. And when they come across that, you know, my subscriber subscribers are getting more and I appreciate that, but it's very slow. It's a very slow rate. So please subscribe, but also if you can leave a comment, and again, I'm a hypocrite. I don't really leave comments I didn't leave comments, and now I leave comments uh, sparingly. So I, I I don't deny that I'm a bit of a hypocrite, so I understand. But for all the followers I have, for all the listeners I have, I, I don't have really hardly any comments. And so if you can do that for me, if you can leave a comment, after, of course, you've followed or if you're already following, if you could leave a comment, that would be much appreciated. As always, I appreciate everybody listening, even if you, whether you agree or disagree with me is irrelevant. I, I, I appreciate you listening. And uh, if you, in the comment, if you want to tell me to, that you think I'm 100% right 100% of the time, or to go fuck myself and that I don't know what I'm talking about, or anywhere in between, feel free. And I will respond as soon as possible in one of the podcasts. I currently don't have a way to respond back um, to your to your text. I'll have to respond, uh, or even your voicemail. I, I don't really have a resp way to respond to it other than responding in the next podcast. So the more you listen, the more responses you'll get. All right. I appreciate everybody listening. You know, again, whether you agree with me or not, um, I hope that you subscribe, but whether you're, a, whether you're a podcast subscriber or not, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And I hope you decide to pod, to uh, subscribe in the future. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. One last thing before I let you go. Tonight, when you're laying in the dark, flat on your back, staring up at the ceiling, drifting off into sleep.
I want you to repeat this mantra over and over and over and over again. The conservative atheist is always right. 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 And in the morning when you wake up, you'll feel like a refreshed, renewed person. The sun will shine brighter. The air will feel crisper. The flowers will smell sweeter. The birds will sing your name. And all will be right with the world. And if not, maybe you're some jackass atheist that some far lefty bigot that needs to pull his head out of his ass. All right, you knuckleheads. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.